Welcome to episode 23 of Keep Your Pads Down, where we are turned up over here in Texarkana because the 2019 football season officially starts today. And I'm also really excited to welcome on a coach who is one of the top defensive coordinators in the country and has been a part of some big-time programs and has a ton of knowledge he's going to share with us today, and that is Nebraska defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. Coach Shenander is in his second season as Nebraska's defensive coordinator and his 17th year of coaching overall. He's in his fourth consecutive season serving as Scott Frost's defensive coordinator, and Coach Shenander has coached with Coach Frost at four schools, including Nebraska, Central Florida, Oregon, and Northern Iowa. Recognized as one of the nation's top assistant coaches with a nomination for the Broyles Award in 2016, Coach Shenander has been on the staff of one FCS and two FBS teams that have played in the national championship game. He has also coached in the NFL playoffs with the Philadelphia Eagles. Coach Shenander's defensive units have ranked in the top 20 nationally in takeaways three times in the past five seasons and in the top five twice. In three seasons as a coordinator, Coach Shenander's defenses have recorded 78 takeaways, an average of more than two per game and 26 per season. Today, Coach Shenander talks some Cornhusker football, their multiple look 3-4 defense, and his thoughts on developing defensive game plans. So here you go. Let's get started with Coach Eric Shenander on this episode of KYPD. Coach Shenander, it is a real honor to welcome you on to the podcast. I'm so glad we were able to get this done and looking forward to talking some defensive with defensive football with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the uh, invite. It's, it's good to be on with you. Well, Coach, you were a walk-on offensive lineman at Iowa. So I guess start off by telling us a little bit about that experience and, and how that shaped you into the coach that you are today. Um, yeah, I think um, it, it, it did shape me a lot. I was obviously um, – recruited by Hayden Fry's staff and um, a great man uh, named Bob Elliott, who's since passed. Uh, but that, that coaching staff was there uh, for my the first part of my playing career. And then um, obviously the coaching staff turned over and they got another um, great staff, Coach Ferentz and, and his group. And I was coached by a really, a really good man, first and foremost. That's a really good football coach. His name was Joe Philbin, who ended up being the head coach of the, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Uh, so I was for, I was fortunate to have a lot of a lot of good uh, mentors, if you will, as I was kind of coming up and it, it did a lot for me as a as a person and, and as a football coach. When you were when you started playing there, was coaching always something that you knew you wanted to do or is that something that came on later on and as a player or how how did that come about? No, I, I think um coaching something I think I knew I was wanted to do. My father was a um, a high school football coach for you know a uh, hundred years, um, as and he coached me. Uh, so I thought I wanted to be a high school football coach forever. And I think the college experience, um, you know, shaped me more into that's the path I wanted to head in instead of being in the high school game. Uh, I think there's great things about the high school game and the college game, but after um, the college experience, that's where I, I thought I really wanted to be. So I think that's. That's more of it shaped my path instead of my my hunger for coaching. I think. Well, you mentioned your dad. Who were some guys who who influenced you along the way, and, and as and and I guess there are some guys that you try to model yourself after as a coach. Well, I'm, I obviously I think my dad had a 
a lot to do with it because he was a coach my whole life and grew up watching him and listening to him and being coached by him for a long time. Um, obviously, you know, all, all the guys that, that coached me in, in uh, college, you know, I, like I mentioned, Coach Elliott recruited me and um, Coach Fry was my first uh, my first full-time head coach and um, Frank Verducci coached me a little bit uh, for the very first year who now currently works with us. So that's been an awesome relationship to be coached by him and now um, coach with him uh, along with Coach Philbin and Coach Ferentz. And then um, as I got into my own kind of coaching career, um, you know, John Solo at Ellsworth gave me my first opportunity. And then I went to um, Northern Iowa. Coach Farley gave me an opportunity there. And, uh, you know, Bill Solomon taught me a ton about coaching football along with Mario Verdusco, Rick Nelson. Um, and then as I went out to Oregon, I think Chip Kelly had a huge impact on, on me as a young coach. And, you know, and that defensive staff learning from Nick Aliotti and Jerry Azanero, Don Pelham, John Neal. And then I got the chance to work with Mark Helfrich. Uh, and then I got a chance to go Chip Kelly to the NFL and learn from Billy Davis, uh, longtime NFL defensive coordinator. So, um, you know, I, I didn't – I was lucky enough to have a ton of guys. There wasn't just, you know, one guy that kind of right, you know, right. helped me along the way. It was, a, it was a ton of guys, and I stole from every single one of them, um, just thief and everything I could, um, things I didn't like, things I did like. And um, I probably worked the longest and closest with Jerry Azanero uh, on the defensive side of things. So, um, but, but there's been a ton of guys. Well, so you already kind of mentioned some 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 of the, the the coaching stops that you've made along the way. Discuss your journey up the ranks of of coaching college football. And again, you had a stint there with the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, talk about some of those places and the highlights from those. You know, started out at Ellsworth Community College and and went on from there. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think uh, you know, I think it's invaluable for me. You know, not everybody's path is different, and all of them are good. It was invaluable for me to, um, you know, have my dad as a reference in high school football and then in college football kind of start at the junior college level and then the one double A level and then go back to being, um, you know, quality control graduate assistant at the division one level and then getting your chance to coach as a full time coach in division one and then go to the NFL. Um, I just, I just felt like, for me, it was the right way to do it because um, I think you think you know a lot and you don't know anything. Right. For, right. for me, anyways. Yeah. Um, and I, I still remember to this day, I tell guys all the time, my first meeting, my first coaches meeting ever at Ellsworth Community College, and I couldn't thank John Saul and Dave Mann and those guys enough for giving me that opportunity. Uh, but I thought, okay, here we go. We're going to start this coaching meeting. I'm going to learn some real stuff. And that first day, I remember that first meeting, all we talked about was who's doing the laundry on Monday and Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday and who's lining the field. And, you know, kind of from then, I, I kind of realized, you know, it's it's going to be a lot about the X's and O's. It's going to be a lot about technique, but it's also going to be a lot about who's willing to work who's willing to do the jobs, the tasks that nobody else wants to do. And from those guys, I kind of learned that nobody's going to do the jobs if you're not willing to do them yourself. Yeah. And I just kind of think that, that that was the right way for me to grow. And those guys 
they showed me a ton about football and a ton about life and a ton about taking care of young guys and just a ton about working hard in this game. Well, you mentioned you mentioned, like I said, that that meeting where where you think you're about to to really start getting into some football, and then they're talking about things like lining the field and doing laundry. Uh, so I guess if you could go back and talk to you or give your 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 you uh, as a young coach turning out some advice, what what might you say to yourself uh, as a young coach just starting out? I think for me, and and I don't know this is just true for for everybody because I think some guys probably knew more than I did when they started or or whatever the case may be. But what I would tell myself is probably, um, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So you listen about twice as much as you talk. And for me, it was probably listen about a hundred times as much as you talk. Yeah. And yeah. get your pen, get your pencil out and your little notebook and keep a notebook from every single year or every single stop because everything you learn is valuable yeah. and everybody you coach with and or talk to, even if they're the lowest guy in the totem pole is going to eventually know something that you don't. So you might as well take it. Yeah. Well, so, and you started there at Ellsworth. And then again, as you already mentioned, you moved up, you were a quality control coach at Oregon, correct? Yeah. Uh, well, but, I, I first stopped my way at Northern Iowa. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Northern Iowa, then then quality control, and then eventually full-time assistant at Oregon, yep. assistant with the Eagles, and then now uh, defensive coordinator at UCF, and then, and then at Nebraska currently. So if I'm a coach, whether it be on the high school level, college level, and I'm wanting to advance my career, I'm wanting to move up the ladder, what are some things that i got to do to make that happen? Well, I think um... – I got some good advice on that early, and it was, um, I can't remember which guy I worked with or worked for told it to me, but he said, listen, there's some guys that are always looking for the next job. You need to do the best job you can in the job you're at, and the other jobs will find you instead of looking for that next one. Um, Now, I also know that there's value in getting out and I know things are changing a little bit in the way that college football works, but getting out, um, working camps and or going to clinics, just um, networking with guys. And, yeah. and you know, the, the other thing is you, you never know who you're talking with. Um, you, you don't know if there's there's some young guy who wants to talk ball and, you know, you think, well, I, you know, I, I'm not I don't have enough time or I'm too busy or or, you know, this guy is the junior high coach at Allison Bristow, you know, community schools, that guy might be the head coach of the Buccaneers in a couple of years. So yeah. You, yeah. you just, you got to treat everybody um, the way you would want to be treated because you never know who's going to give you your next job or your next opportunity. Exactly. Well, so as you move through, you moved up the, uh, the, the, the rung of the, uh, of the coaching ladder. Talk to us about, you know, you, you, like you said, you're at, at, or- at Oregon with Chip and then you followed him to to uh, to Philadelphia. What's the difference? Would you th- th- that you noticed the biggest difference in coaching on the collegiate level as opposed to coaching on the professional level? Number one, the, the professional level for all parties involved is it's a it's a job, it's a career, it, it's it's your that's your your livelihood. Um, college football, depending on what level you are, it's it's more of a pure game, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, one one difference obviously is in the NFL, it's all football all day. Um, you know, there's a little scouting and evaluation, but um, college football is a lot of recruiting. 
Uh, there's, you know, there's just a ton of recruiting involved. Right. Um, but, but I think the biggest difference for me, uh, just in the, in the coaching is in, in my wife, probably she noticed it before I did when we had the chance to go back to Oregon. I think, you know, she said that those kids, you need those kids more than they need you. I think coaching college football, you have the opportunity to, to help change somebody's life. You have the opportunity to develop somebody as a, a person and a man. And in the NFL, I mean, it's it's grown men talking to grown men, and that's yeah. just not that's yeah. not the the reason why we're all there. And I think in college football, that's a and in high school football, it, that that's the special opportunity we get. Yeah, yeah, and I would imagine, and I heard a coach at a clinic, and I don't remember who it was, but he said, and it was a professional coach. He said, you know, he was talking to mostly high school coaches, and he said the difference between to, between me and you is that you tell your guys what to do. And I ask my guys what to do, or I suggest that they do something. And I can imagine that that you know having that, especially with the money involved, that that's got to be a really different dynamic, especially going from coaching college to coaching uh, on the professional level. Yeah, that's a very very good way to put it. I think those guys, uh, you know, especially the veterans, they have their their BS detectors pretty good. And I think if they think that you can help them make a bunch more money, they're going to do whatever you, you <laughs> yeah. tell them to do. And yeah. if, if they don't think you can, then they're going to kind of be on their own program. But I think that another interesting thing about that league is you're going to have a, a 10-year NFL vet pro bowler sitting in the same room as a first-day rookie right. and everybody in between. And guys are going to show up on Tuesday and be gone on Thursday, but you still got to find a way to coach them all. Yeah, and I don't think you can coach them all the same. I don't think you can coach any two kids in any level the same. But right, um, it's a it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, it's it's a much bigger difference in that ten year NFL bet in the in the first year rookie than than a freshman versus a senior. It's a it's a very interesting dynamic, and it was. I mean, I, I I'm glad I had that experience. I learned a lot. Well, you you've been with Coach Frost for for a while now, and 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 you and 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 your staff there uh, at Nebraska along with Coach Frost, you know, y'all y'all are no strangers to turnarounds. You took UCF from from an 0-12 mark to an undefeated season in two years with you know, which was culminated with a win over Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Uh, and now you're at Nebraska with a similar situation. Um what's what's the key to turning around a program? Uh in my opinion it's it's the culture. And that and I know that's a getting almost to be like a cliche, but yeah. It, it really is, and for us, it starts at the top. Our our head coach does an unbelievable job of of creating a culture where we can work and live and and develop guys. Um, I think in college football, the word family gets thrown around a lot, but I, I know there's a lot of places where they we talk about family with recruits and recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But I've talked to their coaches, and their families never around the building. Um, with us, it's the complete opposite. Our kids. And wives are at practice. They're hanging out in our offices. Um, I don't know how you can teach a uh, a young guy to be a great husband or a great father when they never see you do it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I just, I, I really do. I think, I think the culture that he creates, you know, just on our team is unbelievable. And I, I think you got to have. I think another thing when you're talking about turnaround is a lot of times when things break down, it's it starts internally. Yes. It starts with, you know, coaching staff dividing, going one way, or everybody's against the head coach or offense versus defense or whatever the case may be. Yeah. With with our staff, everyone's pulling the rope in the same direction from yeah. 
equipment to, you know, strength conditioning is a huge part of a turnaround, the medical, the coaching. And I think the kids see that. And once the kids see that, then they buy in yeah. instead of saying, well, my coach doesn't like the right. D-line coach, so I'm not going to like the D-line guys. But I think, and that's part of culture too. That's the, the, the culture within our staff. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, that it starts with a unified vision that comes from the head coach and then it is, you know, it's passed on to, to the assistants and everyone has that buy-in and everyone knows exactly what, what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. And when, when you have that as an assistant, now you're freed up to go do your job and you're not having to worry about, uh, you know, all that other stuff. And like you said, the, key, the kids see that, they pick up on that and they see that everybody, uh, to use what you said, is pulling the rope in the same direction. And that's really when you can uh, do some special things there when, when everyone has that buy-in. Yeah, so, I, that, that's a great way to put it, and I think simply it's empowering people, yeah. whether it be the coordinators on their respective side of the ball, to the assistant coaches, to the strength and conditioning, all the way down to the kids, you know, empowering them to take the team over, to run their segment, to run the, the film, to run the seven-on-seven, seven. so right. just, an, I mean, it, it, just a culture of empowerment. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, how is the situation at Nebraska, you know, walking into that situation, different than the one you walked in at UCF? Obviously, those two programs historically are on not even really in the same conversation uh, as far as just the history surrounding them. So how are those situations different uh, walking into them? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think they, they were they're, they're similar from, you know, like you said, they're much different just in the you know, tradition of the the programs, but, you know, UCF had a, had a pretty um, good run. Coach O'Leary had a good run right. before we got there. Just at the end, it kind of tailed off. And then Nebraska obviously had a great run and towards the end here, it's kind of tailed off. Um, but, but it's kind of some of the similar problems, you know, it's, you know, and it's not necessarily, was it needed to get new players? No, I, I mean, both both programs had good players. We just needed to get them to do the things we wanted them to, to um, act the appropriate way and learn how to beat like Coach Frost wants them to meet and practice like he wants them to practice, lift like he wants them to lift. Um, and then, you, you know, everybody needs to get a, a few different recruiting cycles to get the kind of guys they want for their system, not necessarily yeah. right or wrong. Um, from the last group, just the guys that fit your own system a little better. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, and I think that the biggest thing that I've seen it was just like we talked about when we walked into each program, just the culture wasn't the way we wanted it. Right. And not, not that we're always right or other people are always wrong. It's just I saw the same similarities in, in the mindset of the kids and um, the accountability and, and, and some of the things that were you know, the, in my opinion, that were um, what was holding that program back a little bit. Yeah, and so you mentioned, you know, Coach Frost basically getting those guys to buy in and doing things the way that you and your staff want them to do them. So I'm curious, what are some things, you know, everyone, you mentioned some stuff like culture and those things can kind of get cliche now. And, and you know, every program has core values and those that can sometimes get a little cliche now. But what are some things, I guess, some pillars or things that y'all, that your program is built around that, that you are trying to get those guys to buy into doing? Uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, an attack mentality would be number one. And, you know, uh, something that Coach Frost talks about all the time is a, a desire to excel and no fear of failure doing in whatever you're trying to do. 
um, whether it be in, in football or, or life or, or, or academic settings, uh, you know, making every decision with the brother to your right and left in mind. I think that's, yeah. that's the way a, a good team is built, um, you know, and just work, hard work. And I know that sounds, you know, pretty elementary, but the art of working hard, I think, is lost a little bit on some some of today's oh, definitely. Uh, young guys. Definitely. So just, just teaching them, you know, what is what really is hard work? Are you tough physically and are you tough mentally? Yeah. And, you know, what's the difference between challenging and hard? There's not very many hard things in life, especially in football. There's some challenges. Right. You know, there's some things that are challenging, but, you know, hard is, you know, hard is, you know, when someone when someone passes away, um, when when something happens to your family, most stuff in football is challenging. Right. Exactly. Well, let's let's get into Nebraska now specifically, and 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 y'all have received a lot of attention this off season, and and even picked by uh, a lot of members of the media that to, to even win the Big Ten West, and, and so. I, just because I watched a little bit of, of Big Ten Media Days in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and again, there's a lot of a lot of high expectations surrounding the Nebraska program. So, how is your staff handling those expectations? And I, what's been the the message uh, to them to your to your guys this off season? Well, I think I think our staff's pretty good with those types of things. Um, you know, because I think we've been around that before with being at Oregon and. Um, the NFL and, and, and UCF and those types of things. But I guess the way we deal with it and the way we go about it with the, with the players is, you know, people can say what they want. We haven't done anything yet. Right. And it's a nameless, faceless opponent. Yep. It's, it's Nebraska versus Nebraska every single day. And, you know, if you start listening, you know, I think my dad told me a long time ago, if you listen to the fans and you in the media and you, you talk like that, then you become a fan. Yeah. You're not a fan. You're a player. You're a coach. We have the best fans in America, and I hope they're fired up about it, but that's that's not our job. Right. Our job is to work. Yeah. I love what you said about nameless, faceless opponent. That's something, uh, uh, an expression that I've used with my guys before. And I think that stresses that it doesn't matter who's on the schedule that week, whether it's you know whether it's a big time rival or it's just a team that you feel like you could you know roll over uh, just by by showing up. That uh, when you have that mentality, then your work, the, the, your le- level of work and your and your your work ethic doesn't change. You know, it remains constant, and you just you just put your uh, nose to the grindstone and get after it. So I really like that that mentality and that and you know putting it that way where it's a nameless, faceless opponent that you're facing each week. We so, tell we tell the guys all the time, especially on defense, and I hope nobody from the Patriots is, is going to take this the wrong way. I just say it because they're, they've been the best for a while, but I tell the guys all the time, listen, if, if the New England Patriots roll up in the parking lot and get off the bus and we roll the ball out, then we're going to play them right there and yeah. we're about to beat their ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now hopefully Bill Belichick didn't hear that and, he won't uh, call me to the call me to the uh, totem pole on that one, but uh, like you know, I said, I, I don't care who it is. I mean, the, the Patriots have been the best in the business for a long time, but if they if they roll up, we got to get out there and play and let, let's go. And that's and coach, you're, I mean, that's the mentality you got to you got to get into your kids. That I think comes with that culture is like, hey man, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, like you said, New England Patriots or 
Northwestern Wildcats, it doesn't matter. You know, um, we're going to be ready to go, and and they're going to get our best shot no matter who it is. Well, let's let's talk about the history of that black shirt defense. How important was it for you to immerse yourself in the history and legacy of that tradition? Not being from Nebraska, you know, I read an article about Charlie McBride giving you the skull and crossbones buckle, which is a really cool story. So I guess. Tell us a little bit about that, and, and, and those of us who are unfamiliar with the history behind the black shirt defense, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so in, in my opinion, um, I think most most people that follow college football knows about the black shirts, maybe not know exactly what it is, but knows, you know, of it. Yeah. Um, and to me, it's the, the greatest tradition in all of college football, yeah. and I think the one cool thing about that is in today's game there's so much about the offense so much about the offense everywhere you go they got like a nickname for their offense and the defenses you know everywhere we've been we've been trying to figure out how can we make this cool how can we you know put a tag on this thing and we get to nebraska and boom we got the black shirts now the offense has to find their own you know name it's the the roles have been reversed a little bit so it's been yeah. um, really cool that way uh, secondly, you're right. You know, I didn't know enough about the tradition, so I had to figure out everything I could about it. So we talked to former black shirts, obviously Barrett Rude, who's the all-time leading tackler in Nebraska, is our uh, inside linebacker coach. So he could give us some um, some in-depth detail on it. And then, like you said, we brought in um, Coach Charlie McBride, who's a legend at Nebraska, and I wanted to know from him. You know, because you can read up the history, you right. can listen to what people think it is. But I think until I talked to him, I didn't really have a clear vision of what it was, how it's earned, and what do I need to do to uh, maybe carry this thing over, uh, you know, have some continuity in, in the black shirts, and, and then eventually pass it on to somebody else. Right. I can imagine that that's just an awesome responsibility to be, you know, I guess the uh, the torchbearer for such an, an, like you said, an outstanding tradition. Really, un, there's there's none other like it in, in, in college football. Um, and that's really just got to be an awesome thing. And, and you said it, you know, from, from when kids first start playing football in youth football league and, and or middle school or whenever they start, they all want to go play offense, right? They all want to go score touchdowns. You know, they watch – they watch the NFL and they're watching football on TV. And so it really takes a special kid to get them over there on defense. And sometimes as far as defensive coaches, we got to be good recruiters to get them over there and, and, um, and get them to want to be a part of something. So that's awesome that y'all have that in place there uh, at Nebraska. So let's talk about your defense specifically. You guys are a three, four. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that and what you like about your defense and, and why, why the three, four. Yeah, I think, you know, the the more the more we go through this and the longer I'm at it, I think three four is I don't know if labeling any defense anymore is is um right. Yeah. I think it was it was different when it was all twenty one and, and twelve personnel, it was pro style football. Yeah. Because then there truly was a, a three four and there was kind right. of a four three. Yeah. Now we're we've all got to be so multiple. I don't I don't care what what you're tagged as a four three guy or a three four guy, we've all got to be multiple and any more. I mean, I, I I'm telling some some guys the other day, um, that are asking the same questions, but if you have a five technique, a three technique, a shade, and a four or five, 
and the guy stands up, you're in a 3-4, then you yeah. put his hand in the dirt, and you're a 4-3. Right. We're all playing the same thing anymore. It's right. just, you know, what what do you look like when you draw them up? And I think for us, we're going to be 3-4 some. We're going to be 4-3 some. We're going to be 4-2-5. We're going to be, you know, 4-1-6. So it, it, whatever, whatever guys that we have available to us that are, number one, I think a mistake – I made as a young guy and a lot of people make is trying to be something instead of putting your best players on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to put the best players on the field period. Um, and then we're going to play the scheme that we think is gives us the best uh, opportunity or advantage against the offense we're playing. Um, so I think from us, you'll see a lot of multiple, um, you know, quote unquote, multiple defense, multiple fronts, a yeah. lot of pressure, a lot of different things. Yeah, and, and coach, you're right. I think I think that it is imperative, especially for uh, in today's game, for for guy, defensive coaches to be multiple and have that, that ability to be multiple uh, to keep pace with the offense. My my question would be, how do you um, basically have a foundation and not just you know we're running all this stuff, kind of like what you said, you know, um, not try to be something, but but mold it to your kids. I guess how do you have have that foundation of this is what we're going to do, but now we can also be afford to be multiple off that. How do you do that in a way where the kids can understand it and still play fast and still understand fits and all of that? I, I, did, I didn't ever invent the scheme, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I think somebody's probably done just about all of them before. There may be a few tweaks or something that maybe, you know, I could pat myself on the back and say, I, I think I got that one. But right. I think the the best thing that I – ever did as a coach is just get the system how I wanted it. And I think, you know, being with coach Kelly and, and, you know, Jerry Asnero and Scott, um, both of us have that, or all of us have that unique to us system that allows us to play whatever personnel we want yeah. and still run a lot of the same defense. It might not look the same, but the kids can learn a lot of, a lot of information they can learn a lot of quote unquote scheme yeah with with very simple words and yes almost you know fluid crossover so i think that's kind of what we've done with those guys the system is what makes us work not necessarily the the drawings on the paper yeah and, and it's probably one of those things where y'all can go from a from an odd to an even front and and really your kids probably don't even no, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're probably not, oh, oh, no, now we're in 4-3. Uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, oh, now I'm here instead of, you know, instead of here. Or uh, now my key is this instead of this. No, I tell them all the time, you know, especially guys that go to the NFL from us, you've played under, you've played over, you've played even, you've played odd, you've played them all. And then we, we, we show them and just label it as over. And they're like, oh, really? That's all that was? So I, I mean, we we play all those fronts. We play all the different coverages. They just they just don't know it because of the, yeah. the fluidity of the system, if yeah. you will. Yeah, exactly. And I and I would imagine that you know going against a Chip Kelly offense for all those years that that was really um, you know they say they say that uh, uh, necessity is a mother of invention. I'm sure that just playing at, at that warp speed and and needing to get into different looks without subbing players really made it to where you had to be multiple, especially going against offenses like that. Absolutely, and it made it necessary for one-word defense. Yeah. We can't anymore, we can't say, 
you know, we can't say uh, will under cloud X yeah, or yeah. field. We can't, we can't do <laughs> yeah. that anymore. Yeah. And so it's one word stuff. That's why our kids don't really know that they have been in all those different fronts because it's all one word information because of what Coach Kelly and so many of the offenses today have done to us. Just like Coach Frost guys on offense, they don't know that they run split zone, midline, power read. They don't know all that. They just it, it's it's bang bang bang. Even though they've run every run play probably ever run in the history of football, it's it's so simple to them because of the system. Yeah, you mentioned having one word calls. I'm just, I'm just curious, how do you signal in defense to your to your players? Do you have each coach is signaling or or um, how do you do that? Uh, no, what we what we do is we have uh, we have multiple signalers. Obviously, you got to dummy right. them, but uh, we're signaling to everybody. Everybody okay. gets it off one word. Okay. There and there's a few. Obviously, there's a few defenses where. Um, excuse me, you have to signal in a, a front and a coverage. Right. And we'll signal it to everybody. But sometimes the uh, individual coach, the DB coach, may stand back um, 10 yards and signal to those guys separately. But for the most part, for the most part, it's uh, it's one word. Right. Well, so a signature of your defense, especially at UCF, was, was your ability to create takeaways. So how do you and your staff coach and reinforce the importance of creating takeaways with, with your players. Yeah, and so I think um, whatever's important to you, and takeaways are important to me, but that's not the end-all, be-all. Some people, it's, you know, stopping the run. It that doesn't matter to me. Whatever's important to you, I think that's what you need to emphasize. And so for us, we're talking about um, taking the ball away in a lot of meetings. We'll have specific meetings on it. Um, we will detail it from what happened from the day before on how we could have took advantage of this situation, how, you know, sometimes the sack's not good enough. We need to get the ball out or, yeah. you know, that TFL wasn't good enough because the ball could have came out. And then we also open up every practice with a turnover circuit. So I think for us, the kids, they hear it, they see it in the meetings, and then they go out and do it the very first thing on the football field. So the kids understand how important it is for us to take the football away. And and I think that could be whatever you want your you know your uh, your marquee on defense or offense to be. You can get that done. You just have to decide what it's going to be. You know, it's kind of like um, you know you can't be good at a at a billion things, right? Like the fox, yeah. the fox and the hedgehog. Yeah. I don't know if you ever read that fable, but you can't be. You can be good at a ton of things if you want to. I want to be great at one thing. I want to be the best in the world at one thing. Yeah. And for us, that that's going to be takeaways. Yeah. And and so that's just kind of what we emphasize. Yeah, I think because I, I really think that we have the best offense in the country with Coach Frost and Coach Walters and those guys. So our biggest asset is to get them the ball back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Every takeaway is three more downs for those guys that that they weren't necessarily planning on. So um, you you, uh, you mentioned a turnover circuit. Uh, what are some things that you are doing some drills, specific drills, maybe that you are doing in that turnover circuit? Yeah, and it's it's not uh you know it's not super super complicated you know Coach Frost gives us uh, what we would call zero period um, it's kind of before every practice begins just to get the guys out there and, and it can't be super high intensity because they haven't stretched yet this is before stretching starts yeah um, so most of our stuff is going to be um, you know we try to get everybody involved everybody moving at once so like on uh, you know on a Monday. 
we, and we try to pair it up also. So like on a Monday, we might have strip and tip going on. So we've got, you know, DBs and linebackers doing the tip drill. And then we've got the outside backers, the line doing the strip drill, and then we'll flip them. Um, but we're trying to get every single guy getting reps, you know, a ton of reps at once. We don't like guys standing around. Yeah. And then the following day, we're going to go city country fumble. And, and for us, um, there's two different ways to recover the football. You know, obviously in the city is, um, there's buildings of people all around, so that's when you got to get on that thing in the field position that we all coach. <laughs> in the country, that's 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 the wide open wide open spaces, so that's scoop and score. So that's just how we determine the, those terms. Is city country fumble for us, and the kids know on film should it be a city or should it be a country recovery. Um, so we work that. So we work getting the ball out. Then once the ball is out, then how do you recover it? Um, we also work a blitz circuit on different ways to blitz and then get the ball out from the quarterback as you're as you're um, getting to the quarterback. So the D line is going to be mostly um, just working their their pass rush. And then how do we how do we get the ball from the quarterback? Are you front side or back side of the quarterback? And the different techniques to strip. And then you have the DBs coming obviously from. Um, you know, their space and a corner blitz and a safety blitz, um, those types of things. And, um, but, but those are the types of drills we work. Yeah. We work an interception drill. Um, you know, the thing I found when we first started, you know, talking seriously about takeaways was when they intercept the football to, to get these guys to understand that number one, takeaways are important, but number two, I want to be selfish as hell. I want to score. Yeah. So yeah. how do we score once we get the ball? When we get a when we get a country fumble and we get a scoop and score opportunity, how do we fit that guy that's running back? When we get a interception, how do we fit that up just like the offense would fit up power? You know, who's the two most important people to get blocked? The quarterback and the intended receiver. Yeah. How do we get yep. those guys blocked? And then where does everybody else go? Do they, you know, do we get to the near sideline? Then are we looking inside and ahead, or are we looking behind us? You know, you know. So we've just over the years we've been you know so close to so many more scores, but we're really trying to put an emphasis now on let's get the ball out. Now, how do we recover it? Now, how do we fit that thing up and go score? Yeah, coach, I think that's an undercoached aspect of of turnovers. Is as we talk about it all the time. Hey, you know, catch it high point, and then you know, uh, you know five points of pressure or whatever it is when you're carrying the ball, but then we really don't talk about, okay, once you get the, the turnover, now what? I mean, now you're, cause you're talking to D linemen, linebackers, and, and these guys that, that usually don't handle the ball very much. And so I think that's crucial to, to coach them up on, Hey, here's what you need to do. And here's your role in helping us go in, in, in scoring. And I love the, the city country fumble. That's awesome. That's a great way of putting it. I'm going to definitely have to use that. Well, yeah, I think you'll I think you'll find if you talk to your guys too. Like when we were at UCF the first year, we were good at taking the ball away. Like I, I remember vividly a guy that's our GA now, a kid picked the ball off, and he's looking at the receiver. Then he goes forward and tries to block somebody ahead, and the intended receiver came from behind and shoestrung tackle the kid. Yeah, and you know he said to me, he said, "Coach, I had no idea. You never told me to block that." I said, "You know what? You're right. Yeah, that's on me. That ain't on you, bud." Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your front seven. It looks like just from some things that I've been reading that your D-line is going to be a position group that that you'll rely heavily on this season. So talk about those guys. What do they do well as a unit? Yeah, so that D-line group, um, 
shoot, they've had they've had two two really good coaches. So we had Mike Dawson, who's a good friend of mine, who actually left us and took a job for the, with the New York Giants. And then we hired Tony Tuioti from Cal, who who's done an unbelievable job there. But that group has really developed. They've developed in the weight room. Uh, they look big. They look strong. Um, the best thing they can do now is they're operating within the scheme. Before they were doing the calls, they were doing a good job. But now I think they know we're trying to get out of the defense and how to do their job a little better. Um, they're really good at playing uh, a two-gap and a single-gap defense. So that's going to be a position group like we talked about that's going to allow us to be, you know, sometimes we're going to be four defensive linemen because they might be the, you know, the strongest group on the team. Yeah. So they're going to allow us to play with, with different packages and more guys. And, and I think they've really come along this spring. I think the number one thing they did better this spring was rush the passer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said they're playing within the scheme. What does that look like? For those of us who are maybe some coaching some guys up and you, you get them to understand, okay, you know, this is where I'm supposed to line up and this is how it works. But, but when, they, when they're playing within the scheme, talk about what that looks like. How do I know when my guys are playing within the scheme? Well, for me, I, I'm always talking to those guys about playing the game within the game. Yeah. Especially, especially up front. Right. What is the down and distance? Well, why do I need to know, Coach? Well, because you can take some chances that you normally couldn't take. Yeah. Um, what What does it look like to me? Who Who's my Who's my pre snap indicator? We all know we have a man on key. That's our guard. That's our tackle. Whatever um, you want them to be. But what's our pre snap indicator? Is it that H back? Is it the half back? Is it the you know tight end? Where is the football going, and how can I take some chances? Do I get in a little wider shade? Do I get in a little tighter shade? Yeah. Am I going to go try to blow that thing up field, or am I going to have to squeeze? How do I know, you know, within this scheme, what are my advantages, what are my disadvantages, and when can I take some shots, as I yeah. like to say? Yeah, and it's really cool when you get guys who are doing that, is now you can really – really make some plays and really be dominant as a unit because, again, I can imagine last year they're trying to learn a new scheme and they're trying to figure out just where to line up. But now they can start really paying attention to the details of a game and then the game starts to slow down for them and they can really excel at making some plays. Um, well, let's talk about the linebackers behind them. I know you have a really good one in Muhammad Berry. He's was named to the Butkus Award watch list. Uh, talk about those linebackers behind that defensive line and some things that they do well. Yeah, so Mohammed obviously he uh, he really came on last year, and and the thing about him is he he's going to be, in my opinion, so much better this year because he understands the scheme. Last year he did a good job of understanding it. Um, he did a good job of of trying to do what we wanted to do. But to be honest with you, he makes plays because of his effort. Period. He plays so hard. And which I love, but this year I think he understands what he's supposed to be doing, and he'll be able to react that much quicker. He'll be able to take a few more chances, like we talked about. But just his effort alone is going to give him an opportunity to play this game for a long time. Um, and beside him, we've got a couple guys. Colin Miller did a great job, and Will Honus. Um, so we got a couple other guys in the inside group, and then that outside group. There's going to be some new faces in there. Alex Davis had a good spring. Tyron Ferguson had a good spring. JoJo Doman came back to being healthy second half of the year. He can play that field side, outside backer. He kind of allows you to do a lot of things because he's rough enough to play 
you know, on the edge on a tight end, but he's also good enough to play out in space and, and cover somebody in man coverage. So um, we have a good core group of linebackers. We still need to find some depth in there. Well, and, and so how important is it for those guys to be able to, especially when you're running a 3-4, to, to, to be multiple, to be able to play some, to drop some in coverage, but also be able to fit up the run. How important is that for those guys to do that? Well, I think when you when you have a guy like that, or you have a couple guys like that, they're they're invaluable. And when you don't, that's when you just have to do a good job of personnel. And that's when, yeah. you you know, from when you don't have a guy like JoJo or a guy like Shaquem Griffin when we were at UCF. Right. When you don't, Deion Jordan, or if, if you don't have that guy, that's when you need to be able to go from 3-4 where you got big outside backers, big D linemen, when you're playing against 12 and 21 personnel, to then you swap out that, you know, field side guy for a nickel, and now you're playing more of a, you know, 4-2-5. Or a, right. It would almost look like 3-3-5, three, three, I guess, on yeah. the – on the on the official docket but i think that's when you need to do a good job as a coach to, to kind of get your guys in the right position well, i want to move in uh, and talk about some some questions that really pertain to being a defensive coordinator specifically um and so talk to me about you know when you're getting ready to put together a game plan when you're you're in in the middle of the season what are the most important things to consider when when putting together a defensive game plan for an upcoming opponent well i think you know, number one, understanding what the offense is trying to do to you. Yeah. Uh, and usually we're talking about we need to take away what they do best. You know, so what, whatever the case may be, how can we put a game plan together? If, if their number one play is, um, you know, power and accompanied by, you know, boot to the field, how can we put the game plan together to get those two things taken care of? and also be in, in position to defend everything else they do is kind of the first kind of considerations. And then, you know, for us, we're always going to talk about, you know, stopping the run first, uh, first and second down passing, probably second, then getting into our third down slash red zone goal line packages as we move through the week. Uh, I think an important thing for us has always been as a staff and, and I think maybe those kids at, at UCF taught us an important lesson was the number one thing for us as we put the game plan together is, is what can the kids do? Yeah. And yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of times I think there's stuff that, that me and you could talk about and we could go out there and execute it, but the kids can't. So it's right. a shit game plan. Right. Um, you know, and, and what can they do fast? So kind of our rule has always been, and I've been around places and it works both ways where you're, you're putting stuff in, all the way up till Friday night, our kind of deal has always been in, in the kids kind of understood this, that it wasn't fake last year and they could come talk to us, talk to me. Um, after that practice on Thursday, if I don't think they can do it, it's out. If they come and tell me, coach, we don't understand it. We don't get why we can't get this done. It's out. Yeah. I'm not going to try to, you know, make them learn it because they can't. I want them to play fast. Yeah. I want them to be free. I want them to be comfortable. So how do you balance put you know putting together a simple game plan where your kids can can execute and play fast, but also have enough wrinkles in there to keep the offense off balance? Sure, and I think I think that I think that's part of our system. And we we get that put in early and we we well, you know, we kind of go to the speed of the highest learner at the beginning. 
Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of stuff going in and there's going to, I understand that there's going to be some things that, that kids aren't quite understanding, quite picking up on, but we're still going to get it in um, and keep it going. That way, at least there's a little retention when we get it into the, into the season and it's pared way down. At least they've heard those words before they've, they've run that thing. We have some clips available to them. Um, but I think, if you do a good job with your system, you definitely can have enough wrinkles and enough things to keep the teams off balance. Yeah, and that's probably uh, crucial. And, and, and really what you're doing as you open up fall camp is, is introducing a lot of those wrinkles that, that, that you can maybe draw, draw on later on in the year. Hey, remember this? This is something we talked about earlier. Um, is that kind of is, is, is preseason camp and spring ball, is that sort of when you get those wrinkles in? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And, you know, and like for us, even even for us for right now, it's going to be, you know, walkthroughs in camp on 21, you know, 12 personnel pro style offense that we're never going to get an opportunity to see versus our team. Yeah. But we're going to see later yeah. in the year versus the Iowa's, the Wisconsin's, the Michigan State's. So we're going to have to put some of that quote unquote defense in right. on cans or in a walkthrough situation. And then we're going to have to be able to recall on that in, in week eight. Well, you mentioned earlier about you know when you're when you're looking at an offense and you're and you're coming up with a game plan about you know deciding and figuring out what is it that they want to do to us and what what is it that they're trying to accomplish who are they trying to get the ball to? Uh, I'm curious, you know, especially for you know for for young defensive coordinators who are uh, maybe is in a couple of weeks going to be putting together their first ever game plan. Yeah, sometimes you hear about guys trying to defend ghosts. You know, what if they do this, or what if they come out sure. in this? How do you, as a especially as a young coordinator, keep from doing that? Well, I think I think we all get. You know, you, you see one play on the on the uh, reel. Yeah. Well, what are we going to do if they run that? Well, I don't know. They run it once out of nine hundred and fifty-four <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, if that one beats us, boys, then, then we got a problem. Yeah. And yeah, I think the other, the other thing that. Um, people don't understand either is sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes guys on offense make mistakes. Sometimes guys on defense make mistakes. Yeah. And, and we chart that as a play sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So I don't want to defend ghosts. I, I live in a, a numbers world. I want to defend probabilities. Yeah. Um, high probabilities. And I think you, you just need to decide what can we and what can we not get done in a week's worth of time. And so what does this offense try to do best? And, and then I also think there's another thing that happens is people watch um, maybe, I don't know if you can ever watch too much game film, but you watch the wrong film. Yeah. Like for us, if I know that we're going to be sitting in a, in a odd structure, yeah, there's not a lot of merit in me watching a whole bunch of teams that are in under or over. Yeah. I want to really dial down on those odd teams. You're right. That, that's the run plays we're going to see. Right. Just like if you're an under team, I don't, I don't know if I'd spend a ton of time watching all the over teams. Right. Play. So, I, I think you can't chase ghosts that way either. Um, but I, I think that's always, that's always kind of the, uh, the um, deal is how, how much can you defend and, and what are we going to really concentrate on? And I think we've got. To, pretty good formula for that we we um, break the game up into you know first and second down run first and second down pass third down pass red zone short yards goal line and we put each one of our coaches in charge of being the the expert in that area and then yeah. they present that to the staff okay 
So it's not always up to me as the coordinator yeah. to have to watch every single game snap and have to be the expert in every area, even though I do. But I put a lot of trust in those guys that, you know, they're either going to see something I didn't see or they're going to, um, you know, just um, make sure that my results are, are, are what they what they what they're supposed to be right uh, when they present it back to me and i think that's a good way to do it because they take some ownership in the game plan yep. they'll have some ideas coming in and then there's also they see those tendencies you know like uh the the, the split the h-back guy is looking over there when he's going to run split zone yeah and yeah so that way we can teach the, everybody on the team you know monday that's that here's the tendencies guys instead of saying like on friday or the second half of the game well you know every time that guy's looking over there he's in split zone i'm like yeah. why in the hell didn't you tell us that yeah. on Tuesday? <laughs> right right um, so i think that's a good way to kind of get about it and that'll that'll kind of that, that kind of teaches everybody to be the coordinator because they'll yes. come in and say yeah i saw a jab counter one time but that was one time in two years he's like they'll even say well i went back through last year's film and looked for it too so i think we I think we're wasting time on that one. Right. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I think that that's, that's just, just imperative to, to give ownership to your assistants. That way, you know, again, they all take ownership, especially in that aspect. If my, if mine, if my, the thing that I'm looking for is short yardage plays of what they're going to do and, and, and that sort of thing, then that really takes the pressure off you as the coordinator, like you said, uh, to have to be an expert in every single facet. Not that you wouldn't, you're not going to be anyway, but it also helps knowing that, hey, there's this other guy over here standing next to me who studied the heck out of this thing, and he knows, um, you know, all the tendencies and you know the tells that the guard is going to be sitting high when he's getting ready to pull or whatever. Um, so that's really, I think, an important thing to remember to, you know, to empower those assistants. And another thing you mentioned earlier is not having so much of an ego that when your kids suggest something, um, whether it be in practice or in a game, that that you listen to them. Um, that it's not just no, this is what we're doing and, and deal with it. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. And I think the only, the only, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes kids see ghosts too now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so sometimes when, when they come over, even on the sideline, um, when they come over and practice and say, coach, we don't understand this. We can't run it. That's when I know it's time to get it out during games. Yeah. I think that they have the, the feeling once they've been around this long enough that they can come in and suggest something. And I may call upstairs and say, hey, here's what the kids are saying they want to get done. Is this really what's happening on yep. the field? And yeah. Sometimes the coach upstairs will say, absolutely, let's do it. Or sometimes they'll say, no, wait, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're crazy. <laughs> well, that, that brings me to a question that I've asked before on this podcast. I want to ask, ask, ask you, you know, because um, sometimes, like, you're right, you know, a kid gets beat on a deep ball or they crease you on a run play and, and all of a sudden the guys are coming off the field and they're like, coach, 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 we need to be doing this, this, and this. You know, or maybe even if I might be an assistant. You know, when is it when you're going through the course of a game? We all we, we all know this. Sometimes, you know, that that game plan that you worked on all week, you just crumple that thing up and and throw it in the trash. And now it's it's going back to base or whatever because the offense isn't doing what you thought they were going to do. So when do you know that that we just need to ride the storm and weather the storm and calm the kids down and stick with the game plan? Or hey, we need to we need to trash this thing and and go back to to playing base or whatever. Well, I guess. The what I guess Billy Davis, who was the defensive coordinator at the Eagles, who's a longtime defensive coordinator at the NFL, told me a long time ago that we're gonna structure our practice around the game plan, what we think we're gonna call percentage wise. We're gonna keep track of it, and that's what we're gonna call in the game, and that's when we're gonna run percentage wise. Um, 
because that's what the kids feel most comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. Um, and then you're talking about crumpling up the game plan. There, there's been probably two times in my career as a coordinator, and I've been lucky enough to have um, guys that I would consider um, family, friends, or whatever you want to say, equals working yeah. with me on defense, uh-huh. where they feel like they can tell me about anything they want and say anything they want. Now, I might get mad sometimes, but if they think that it's um, – for the better of the team, they're going to tell me. There's been two times when I say, boys, we're going to scrap this thing, and I'm just going to start shooting from the hip. And both times they've been like, no, absolutely not. You're crazy. We <laughs> yeah. agreed on the game plan together. We practiced this thing. We're riding it out. Get yeah. the kids calm. We're going to give you the information, and we're going to get this thing right. Yeah. And both times it's took about a drive and a half, and then we just went out there and just blew the doors off whoever we were playing. Yeah. So I'm thankful to have those guys that will calm me down. Yeah. And then we'll calm the kids down. Um, and I think an important thing for the coordinator or whoever's on the field, whether you're on the field or whether you're up in the box, is to it's great to listen to the kids, but the first and foremost thing we tell the kids now especially when they come off all, all lathered up is sit down, get some water, get some, get some air, relax. I'm going to get the information. We're going to come back over here and talk. Yeah. And, yeah. and that way I can talk to the guys upstairs and they they've already alleviated the problems or told me the problems and the solution before I go, you know, say, then I'm on the headphone saying, well, this dude said this and this guy yeah, said that. Yeah, he said he wasn't yeah. in his gap. Yeah. Now I I can go over there with the right information before the kids start acting crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can still let the kids air their grievances a little bit. I yeah. just know which ones are right and which ones are wrong before I even go into the argument. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh yeah. And I think like you said, the takeaway there is to you know, that game plan was based on, as you mentioned earlier, numbers, percentages, tendencies. And 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 most of the time you know, that thing is going to, to play out and, and, and ring true. You just have to, I mean, because every offense is going to come out, especially those, those, that first drive or two scripted, they're going to have a few wrinkles here and there, but then what's going to happen? They're going to settle in to what they do best, which is what you prepared for, hopefully as a defense. And so, I, yeah, I think sometimes the, the goal of that offense is, hey, can we get them out of the game plan early and then just have them grasping at straws and then we got them, you know, but right. if you can just settle, settle down and, and like you said, get your information and calm down and just reaffirm that game plan to those kids and the assistant coaches, then that's usually your best call. No doubt. Uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, going back to what you asked previously too, that, that I didn't get to what I think for young coordinators, guys first putting their game plans together. Yeah. One thing I think you need to do too, is you need to find what I would call the breaks. I think we're all taught that, you know, okay. You know, base defense is played on first and ten and second and four seven. And then you got a second one to three menu, a second right. eight plus menu and a third down. That's not true when you're calling the game. That looks great when you're <laughs> when you're yeah. drawing a playbook. Yeah. But when you're actually calling the game, Coach X that's across the field over there, he's got the breaks. Yeah. what is what is third down specifically? Okay. Well, it's always third and seven plus. What your 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 pressures are? You know. Well, if you're playing against, I don't know, some of these guys, like Coach Leach at Washington State, he's going to throw the ball in third two. Right. You right. know. So so what what are the breaks within the game? And 
is there that is is there that magical down second in, in seven after a run where it's a hundred percent pass? Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. So those are the kind of things like I don't necessarily you know just have that call sheet stuck to my face, but I got some good guys upstairs and they know exactly. We've talked about it enough where they know exactly. Coach, here's that situation you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. As they're as they're watching the game or. Um, hey, remember now, it, it, even though it's second and five, this is this is his screen down. Right, right. You know, th- those types of things. And I think I think that helps you call the game almost more than just having that game plan in front of you. It's it's finding those breaks in, in what Coach X does. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's um, that's a great point to remember, especially uh, as you know, to to keep yourself from getting overwhelmed and 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 pushing that panic button, and also. Uh, I think you've already alluded to it is that it's it's key to surround yourself with assistants that you trust that are gonna you know they're 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 a little bit removed from the situation um, and, and so they can kind of calm you down and be in your ear like hey remember this or remember that or what do you think about this I think that's that's also key too to have those guys in place. Yeah, and then it's it's important for us. I think no matter if you're in our meeting room, if you're the defensive coordinator or you're the lowest on the, on the totem pole, whether that be our, our, you know, our under undergrad student coach or our GA or whatever the case may be, whoever's got the best idea is the best idea. Doesn't yeah. have to come from me. Right. Now, right. you know, I'm going to get credit in the newspaper, whether it's probably better than it is or, or worse than it is one way or the other. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be my idea. It, it's just got to be an open line of communication and whatever idea it is at the beginning. When yeah. we walk out of that room, it's our idea. Yeah. The, yeah. What, what happens, I think, to a lot of places is, you know, the DB coach goes in there and says, well, I mean, they want to run this to stop the run, but I think we should be doing this. Or yeah. the D-line coach, you know, says the same thing. If you if you walk out of that room and everybody goes into their position room and says, guys, this is our game plan. Our defensive staff, we all had a part of this. This is what we think is the best. This is what we are going to do this week. Then it's our it's our idea, and it doesn't yeah. matter if it was the GAs or the coordinator. It doesn't yep. matter. Yep, that's right. And that's what and that kind of goes back to what you're talking about with Coach Frost, kind of installing that that culture there about you know you start with something that everybody agrees on, or, or at least has some has some buy, buys in, and and then you can go from there and spread that message to your position groups, and then the the the, the kids buy in, and then you're then you're all pulling the rope in the same direction. Um, well, coaches, we get ready to wrap this up. We got three questions for you, kind of. Uh, some football related, some not, but as a young coach coming up in the profession, we've all had humbling experiences, you know, whether we screwed something up or maybe someone yelled at us or or we did something that we wish we wouldn't have done. But so I guess share a humbling moment you experienced as a coach early on in your career. Uh, I think I had a, (laughs) I think I had a lot of, uh, humbling experiences. I think one I really remember uh, a lot of competition periods at, at Oregon and at under Coach Frost, wherever we've been, um, trying to keep, teach the kids that, you know, it's you compete every play and you also keep your mouth shut because you can only control what you can control. And the moral of the story was if anybody, the, the head coach was the referee, if anybody complained about the call, whether it be pass interference or he didn't call a sack or whatever, it was going to be minus 10 points. And as a young coach, I was over there yelling about the situation, whether I didn't, I can't remember what it was. I didn't agree with pass interference or I thought we should have got the sack. And I was losing my mind instead of coaching the next play. 
instead of dealing with the kids and controlling what I could have controlled. Yeah. I was losing my mind on the sideline and that he blew the whistle, stopped practice and just, you know, probably MF me a little bit in front of the whole team and told me to shut up. And I lost our team 10 points and we ended up losing by one. Yeah. And, um, and all the kids knew it and all the coaches knew it. So that was a, a very humbling experience, but a very valuable lesson yeah. in controlling what you can control and, yeah. and always next play, next play, next play. Yeah. Well, and you probably never did that again. I'm sure. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this one's uh, about your family. So you're, uh, I think, a recent father of three, right? Did you just recently have uh, a son? Is that is that right? Yeah, we got two girls, five and three, and then we have a uh, son that's about almost uh, about three and a half months. Okay. Awesome. Well, so at, when you're away from football and you have some downtime, like you have uh, had this summer, what's what's the your favorite thing to do with your kids? Well, you know, I, I, just because they're so little right now, we've been just spending a ton of time at the house, and they just love, you know, riding their bikes around, and, and we got a little fishing pond in the back and, and, and doing some of that and then just playing outside. But I just really um, – I'm just thankful to work for Coach Frost because he lets my family be around so much, yeah. and he gives us some, some off time to be with them. But to be honest with you, just, just playing with those guys and watching them play and just doing something where me and my wife can be there and then, uh, the baby can be around too, yeah. which is hard to take them to the water park or anything like that right yeah. now because of the baby. But yeah. just just being around them and playing outside. Have you had a chance to see the new Lion King yet? We have not. We did um, a couple weeks ago. I did take both girls to Toy Story Four. Okay, so. there you go. There you go. All right, cool. Uh, so last one: If you weren't a football coach, what would you be doing for a living? You know. Um, to be honest with you, I'd probably be working outside somewhere, doing doing something with my hands. I love to uh, to uh, fix things and make things. And uh, my father-in-law sells Pioneer Seeds, uh, so maybe helping him or or doing some kind of construction or something like that. But uh, I just love to be outside and I love working with my hands. So it'd definitely be something in that field. Awesome. Well, Coach, thank you so much for 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 talking with us today, and and really enjoyed it and learned a lot. And I want to wish you and, and the rest, rest of the uh, Nebraska staff a uh, best of luck this, this season. We'll be watching. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. Man, I really appreciate Coach Nander taking some time out of his last weekend off before they get rolling up there in Lincoln to talk with me. And make sure you give Coach Shenander a follow on Twitter, at Coach Shenander. That's at C-O-A-C-H-C-H-I-N-A-N-D-E-R. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review as well. I always enjoy getting your feedback about the content we're putting out on this podcast. Our quote of the day comes from legendary Husker coach Tom Osborne, and it is, the essence of teamwork is servanthood. That'll do it for us today, coaches. Have a great week. And for those of you starting practice today, you better make sure you tell those boys, son, you better keep your pads down.